I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. Well, hey, welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. It is great to have you with us. Um, man, this is, uh, this is fun. And Seth, we're coming up on our live show. Coming up soon. Yeah, September 19th. That's a Monday night, 7 o'clock at Redemption Gateway. Uh, no, a lot of you that listen are part of the church. You know where that is. Uh, I think we'll do it in the box, our main worship space. But if you're not part of the church and you want to come by, we'd love to have you. So uh, it'll be kind of, I don't know, it'll be interesting, underwhelming, spectacular. I don't know. It'll be I the best it'll, night ever. It'll be mostly underwhelming <laughs> for those of you who listen to us on one and a half or two speed and you have to listen to us on one speed. That's true. Whenever I, I, I didn't to, think about I that. listen to podcasts on one and a half speed and then when I've listened to them on single speed, they sound drunk and stupid. So those of you need to prepare yourself, start listening on one speed. Otherwise we'll sound drunk and stupid. <laughs> well, we, yeah, anyway, we won't, uh, we won't be drunk and stupid. So, uh, give us a little see. preview of what we're going to talk about that night. I think we're going to talk about self love. Should you love yourself? How do you love yourself? Okay. Is self love good language biblically? That's a pretty common, uh, uh, way of approaching human development and self-development is self-love in secular world. I'm going to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of that language and the responsibility or the extent to which we're responsible to love ourselves and okay. what that looks like. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so that's what we'll talk about that night. We'd love to have you come. Basically, the way to work is we'll record the podcast, we'll do that, and then we'll turn off the recording and we'll just do live Q&A. So if you have questions, they aren't things that are going to be released on the podcast, but we just want to engage with you. And so we'd love to meet you and talk with you and uh, have those conversations. So that's what that will be. Tickets are for sale for zero, zero, zero. Uh, but <laughs> if you're right. RSVP, that'll help us make sure we have the right amount of chairs out. Yeah, go to gateway.redemptionaz.com and you can get the you know link to RSVP for that. So very cool. So that's, that's going to be September 19th. But today, Seth, today we're talking about friendship. Friendship. Good thing, bad thing, pros, cons. Is anybody against friendship? I don't think anybody's against I don't think we're debating if it's a good thing or bad thing. Should we or shouldn't we? I think we should. All right. Well, I think the question is, why is it difficult? Hmm. Why is loneliness such a problem? And what are the grounds and motives for friendship and what makes a good friend or a not good friend? I think that we live in a consumer culture and so often we use people for our entertainment and we call them friends. And this really got on my radar big time in about 2017. This is, uh, you know, you sent me an article mm -hmm. about the epidemic of male loneliness. I remember in 2017 reading it, and uh, I didn't have kids at the time, so the article didn't really apply to me because most, <laughs> most of it was about um, men with kids and how lonely they were. But it actually led to me starting the ministry we have at the church for, like, men's small groups. Called, yeah. We call fight clubs about fighting for connection with each other and mm -hmm. how men have to fight to overcome loneliness. So you yeah. tell us about that article. Well, I remember when I saw that article, the headline of it is uh, says the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. And like, that's an attention grabbing headline. And it was like, huh, that's pretty interesting. It's from the Boston globe. We can link to this in the description, but I, I love the beginning of it because uh, <laughs> the author of this article, um, he's just pretty honest. I, man, I can't find his name uh, right now, but anyway, probably John Doe. Yeah, there you go. He says this. He says, let's start with the moment I realized I was already a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It's another great opening, which was just after I was more or less told that I was destined to become one. I'd been summoned to an editor's office with the old, we have a story that we think you'd be perfect for. This is how (laughs) editors talk when they're about to con you into doing something you don't want to do. He says, here was the pitch. We want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. Excuse me? I have plenty of friends. Are you calling me a loser? You are. The editor told me there was all sorts of evidence out there about how men, as they age, let their close relationships lapse, and that fact can cause all sorts of problems and have a terrible impact on their health. I told the editor I'd think about it. This is how reporters talk when they're trying to get out of something they don't want to do. He says, as I walked back to my desk in the newsroom, a distance of maybe 100 yards, I quickly took stock of my life to try to prove to myself that I was not, in fact, perfect for this story. First of all, there was my buddy Mark. We went to high school together, and I still talk to him all the time, and we hang out all the... Wait, how often do we actually hang out? Maybe four or five times a year. And then there was my other best friend from high school, Rory, and I genuinely could not remember the last time I'd seen him. Had it already been a year? There were all those other good friends who feel as if they're still my lives because we kept tabs on one another via social media. But as I ran down the list of those I considered real, true, lifelong friends, I realized that I was indeed perfect for this story. Not because I was unusual in any way, but because my story is very, very typical. So that's how the article opens. And I I think that really is every guy that I've ever interacted with about this article goes, man, yeah, that really does feel like, especially as as guys age, uh, that becomes a, a reality. And I guess it's probably fairly common for ladies as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting within the church culture and the way that kind of functions as... Uh, a lot of like the source of the friends that men do have is at work. And so they're kind of reduced to that type of exchange and you add COVID to that and that type of ability to connect and make those friendships one way down. You also add this reality where a lot of ladies will make friends like in mom's groups or things like that. Um, so if ladies are working full time or part time, that kind of cuts them out of a lot of those circles and it's difficult or if they don't have kids or can't have kids or won't have kids for a reason. There's a feeling of exclusion. Yeah, we found it a little bit, um, you know, not to, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but it was interesting because when we had Abby and Caitlin, they were about two and a half years apart. And there were all the folks that Molly really hung out with a lot as, you know, these other ladies and other people that had kids that were the same age as Abby and Caitlin. And then we had this big gap, and then we had Mary. And it was like all those other friends kept going on with their life. And we were kind of back at zero again. And um, it was this weird dynamic for her to try to go. And no one did anything wrong. No one mistreated her or left her behind. It's just like life situation changed. And a few years ago, we started going, huh, this is interesting. Like, we feel like we're surrounded by people. But do we have close friends in this stage of life? And and I know, I mean, for you and I, Seth, as leaders, I know not everybody's in that situation. But one of the things that people talk a lot about especially with pastoral leaders that fall or that burn out or whatever is a lack of friendship. And so I know you and I have both really tried to cultivate friendships and connections with people who um, aren't really impressed with us being leaders, um, whether that's outside the church or even some inside the church who just kind of know us more as Luke and Seth and not pastor Luke and pastor Seth, you know? Yeah. I think one of the gifts the Lord has given me the last even couple of months at the church is some folks who, knew me from back in high school, have joined the church. Huh. And so they there's like a sense in which they knew me back then. And so it's easier for them to see me as like a fully orbed human. Like they didn't hear a sermon and like it and then stay. Hmm. They knew me and then found out, oh, he's doing that now. And they're in the area. And so we're hanging out now. And so I do think that pastors 
just like every other vocation, tend to be reduced to their function in society. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is, you know, some of your best friends might be at work, but then someone takes another job and it's, see you later, out of sight, out of mind. Or someone mm-hmm. relocates for work and it's out of sight, out of mind. And and just like our, our kind of globalist, digitized economy takes us all over the place and it's difficult to be connected and stay grounded. Not only that, so the digital reality and our economic reality affects this, whereas like back in the day, if everyone's homesteading, you know, the person who's farming next to your farm, they're probably not going anywhere. <laughs> sure. And yeah. and even like the like back in the day where pensions were way normal, you tended to like have company friends that lasted 30, 40 years. Mm. And as opposed to now, everything's 401k, you just slide it over when you leave. And so I feel like some teachers, like my dad, for example, has some lifelong work friends. Well, it's part of that's because teaching has a pension. Sure. <laughs> and so not to reduce it to that, but that kind of makes it easier to yep. stay rooted. Uh, so you have like the economic realities, but you also have the sexual realities. Mm. Their culture is so hypersexualized that intimacy is reduced to sexuality yeah. and connection through physicality. And to the point where you have these stories, like in the Bible, like this is 1 Samuel 18, you have this story of this friendship between David and Jonathan and how often people want to sexualize it. Mm. Say, was David gay? Was Jonathan gay? Uh, They couldn't have just been very good friends. There must be something sexual at the heart Mm. of what's going on here. Do you have it? I don't know if you have it there. You can read it. Yeah, here's what it says. Um, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, when, and so Saul talks about something. And it says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And it's talking about this, like, this covenant commitment to the other person and their well-being and investment in the long term of their life. And so this, like, friendship is covenant. We see mm-hmm. this picture of this. And it plays out over the next couple of chapters in First Samuel 18 that they weep together, that, they're, that their highs, they share their highs, they share their lows. Yep. Uh, they go separate ways. It's, it's torturous. That like the separation there, it's not exactly like a marriage, but it's a notch away from it in terms of like covenant friendship. And when it's that level of depth that makes some people go, oh, maybe they were gay. Maybe this is actually some kind of romantic thing because we just can't really picture a same sex friendship that's that thick and that deep and that strong. It doesn't somehow have sexuality at the at the center of it. Yeah. And you know, the Bible is not afraid of talking about David's sexual exploits. You see sure. his failures well documented a couple of chapters later. And so uh, if there is something there, Samuel probably isn't going to hide from it because there's no attempt to make David look better than he is in mm. first and second Samuel. Sure. Um, and so even like whether you construe those things as sinful or not, the fact that we as- presume as a modern reader, and even like a lot of like arguments in favor of same sex marriage, like it well, David and Jonathan were probably gay and David's like wife was a cover for his whatever and his sexuality and, and it just, so the hypersexuality of it, that like male intimacy, female intimacy tends to be sexualized because our culture is hypersexualized as a whole. And so, What's interesting as you read that, I think about um, the guys that we met on the lead team retreat for redemption. Yeah. So uh, all the lead pastors and, and key, you know, kind of senior leaders in redemption, we went well on this retreat and there were some guys that aren't part of redemption, but that have been friends with each other for like 40 years. Yeah these three guys and they just 40 years ago said, we're going to essentially like that. We're going to covenant to do life together. And at times they've gone to the same church at times they've gone to different churches. But I remember every guy at that retreat was basically like, hold on time out. Let me talk to these guys about that because that is so um, unusual 
And yet, as you watched them interact and as you heard their stories, you went, man, that's compelling. That sounds really pretty great. I wish I had that. Yeah, you have 15 senior leaders at what I would describe as a relatively healthy church going, hey, tell me more about how you make friends and keep them. Yeah. Which I think is significant and and worth noticing. And and this is like, I think part of it is the way that friends, like it feels rare. Like you, we talk about, like our last episode was talking about marriage and and we know all the stories about how difficult it is and how rare it is to hear. Like someone at church on Sunday was like, hey, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And like, that's like, wow, congrats. Yeah. You know, uh, but I feel like it's almost equally as rare. Like, hey, we're celebrating our 50th fr- year as friends. Yeah, sure. Because you know, I, I do think like even just the way our economic system is set up of these single family households and the more and the, all, all the like the economic realities, spiritual realities, sexual realities uh, really incentivize and reward marriage. But friendship, you know, when you're lonely, you're a good market consumer. You're a good someone who can be sold things. Yeah. Uh, you're a good participant in the economy when you're lonely because you're spending money on goods and services to fill the void. Yep. And there's a recognition or a, a an, an acknowledgement that loneliness is good for business. And so people don't want to help you find good friends because when you're content in meaningful, connected relationships, you tend to spend less money. Well, a lot of us are like the article, the article writer that we read earlier. We don't think we're lonely until we stop and think about it. I remember this phrase I learned from Randy Frazee years ago. He talked about crowded loneliness, that mm-hmm. we've never been surrounded by more people. We've never been surrounded by more voices. So everything's crowded and we go, oh, I'm, I'm good, but actually we're pretty lonely. So, so today we're talking about this friendship. So Seth, you have some ingredients of good friendship. Give us some wisdom, some insight on how we can push into that. Maybe it's with existing friendships we have, and maybe it's with the capacity to develop new connections, new relationships. Like I I think about for me, uh, we're about to start a new flag football season with Hank. And so I'm going to meet some new people that are part of that team. And so maybe people are in kind of a launching season of here's an opportunity to connect in new ways. And maybe this is ways to just make existing friendships deeper. So, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so we're calling these the rails of friendship, R-A-I-L-S, how to keep your friendship on the rails, keep nice. moving forward. I like that. You must be a preacher. Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> it was totally an accident. So this is one of the difficulties is we have these people that we want to be friends with, but it's, like, not going to happen. We don't know how to make it happen. And part of that is the vulnerability of asking, hey, I want to be deep, better friends with you is weird and awkward and risk rejection. And oftentimes you'll be met with rejection. Like, Hey, I don't have time to give that to you right now. And so there has to be like this acknowledgement and a desire to want to do it. And then once you acknowledge and desire, you want to do it and you're willing to give it a try, despite maybe being pushed away or sent in the corner, that's part of it. So the first ingredient is rhythm or regularity or routine. Okay. I, I think that most basically what makes someone like a candidate for a good friend is how often you see them. This is one of the reasons why spouses tend to make good friends, <laughs> why uh, coworkers tend to make good friends, why friends you're on the PTA with tend to make good friends, why people you see at flag football practice tend to make good friends, is the the regularity or the rhythm of the routine. Uh, like you see them, it's naturally built in. It's going to happen. I'm sure. going to see them. I'm going to connect with them. I don't have to make additional plans. I don't have to do additional scheduling. I don't have to let's get our calendars out and make this happen. Yep. I see you. It happens. And I can, when mm-hmm. I see that. So, so that's the first thing. I've, the first place I'd like if you're trying to make a good friend or add me in your relationships is who do you regularly see? And I think that's really difficult if you're working from home. 
if yeah. you're at home all day long with two little ankle biters who <laughs> you know just are trying to like destroy your house all the time uh trying to ask like how can i build rhythm how can i build routine how can i build regularity or create recurring plans i feel like recurring plans or like joining a team or joining a class or joining a men's group or women's group is a way of making one decision that has lasting benefits. Yeah. So if you say every Monday we do this Uh starting now Mm -hmm. or every Friday morning or uh, every, every other once a month on a Friday, like, so creating the rhythm, creating the routine, making one decision and then presuming on it, I think. So building that regularity in is the first ingredient. Yeah. Great. So that's the R. It's the R. Rails. Uh, A is next. So what's A? A is affinity. Uh, what do you have in common with people? Hmm. So this yeah. is, uh, we both like football. Let's do fantasy football. We both like CrossFit. Let's do CrossFit. We both like baseball. Let's do baseball. We both have a two-year-old. Let's do talk two-year-old parent. You know, we both, it's like natural areas of overlap of interest already. This is one of the reasons why people tend to make great friends with people at church. If you have this really great common denominator called the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. we have him in common. And so therefore we are in common and we can at least talk about how faith is working out in the day-to-day of our lives, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so there's well, also layers. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this, doesn't he? Doesn't he have the idea that friends are are discovered more than they're made? Yeah. You see someone and you go, oh, you too? Yeah. I'm not the only one? And a lot of that's based off of affinity. Oh, yeah. Wow. You you like that too. Yeah. You meet someone at church. You go, oh, you have a three-year-old also? Oh, you also like football? Man, we're, this is meant to be. You know? and yeah, like, sure. So if you think about affinity as having layers... You know, and, and I think that this is one of the challenges of friendships is like deciding which affinities matter more than other affinities. Yeah. It was the fact that we both like football more important. The fact we both love Jesus is the fact that we both have young boys in our house mm-hmm. less important than the fact that we both have, uh, you know, parents, you know, and so there's so many sure. like layers to affinities, but I think having things in common is one of the things that makes friendship easy. Mm. That's not to say all friends should be easy. Yeah. But I do think if you're trying to make lifetime, long-lasting friendship, uh, having those things in common matters a ton. Well, and I think that's what makes some relationships difficult over the longer haul is because those some of those affinities and those things change, right? I, I used to know you through this, and now you don't do this anymore, or I don't do this anymore, or your life situation has changed, and now there's just not as much overlap and we're trying to figure out what are we connected through and what are we connected by well it's one of the difficulties of when people like leave the church Mm, sure right and people say oh i left the church and so you rejected me and that may be the case and i don't want to say that's not the case but a lot of times it's like we have less in common now and it's harder yeah like we had a natural place where we would see each other and And now now we we don't don't. yeah Yeah, you and i used to get together and watch football every sunday afternoon you decided you hate football, so now we have to like rediscover something to have in common. Like, yeah. I'd rather just you know. So, sure. so I think like the 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 waxing and waning of affinities is is yeah. part of that. Uh, the next one is intensity, R A I, intensity or intimacy, and that has to do with going beyond the surface and going down a layer. Tell me about the spiritual child, your spiritual temperature of your childhood. Tell me about your relationship with your father. Um, how do you feel like your relationship with your mother affects the way you relate to your wife? Uh, what This is the people who know your business. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Who know your business, who know your secrets, who know yeah. uh, your internal struggles, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your insecurities. Uh, the people who you say, here's what I talked about in therapy. Yeah. And here's the insight that's developing in me. 
And this is like when you don't have that intensity in your marriage and you have that intensity outside your marriage, that's a huge red flag. Uh, but I do think that that intensity or intimacy is one of the reasons why men in general tend to have more loneliness than women in general is men tend to avoid that intensity by hiding behind affinity. You yeah. know, the guys get together, talk about the game, talk about politics, talk about sometimes talking about those small talk things like sports and politics as a way of avoiding intensity or intimacy and having a space devoted to like, Hey, let's get in each other's business and let's try to know like the core mm-hmm. of me that's vulnerability, that's curiosity, that's asking good questions, not just the lame, boring questions, you know. That's not asking, how was your day? That's asking, uh, what surprised you about your day? You know, that's not mm-hmm. saying, uh, what was your, um, what did you like about your day? That's saying, what disoriented you today? You know, what pushed your buttons today? What triggered you today? What, yeah. where did you, what, what part of your day did you notice your blood pressure go up? What do you think that was connected to? So those, that type of yeah. like real intimate knowing, connected, the ability to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not like, hey, I got a new job, but it's like, man, I've, I've been praying for you for that new job for four months, and I know what was riding on this, and yeah. I'm like almost weeping genuinely happy mm. for you because I knew how much it meant to you. So like, that's like that. So, so tell me this, though, Seth. Together. So you have, uh, you have lots of friends. You grew up in the area. You just mentioned people that you've reconnected with for a long time, people at church that you'd consider, oh, they're friends. Uh, people in ministry and across other redemption congregations and people you went to seminary with and people, you know, and on and on and on people at CrossFit. I mean, that's, you got a lot of friends through that. Um, how many of your friends would you say are at that intimate level? So I think intimacy exists in degrees. So I think about if I'm playing like five card draw poker, right? So I have five cards I'm holding. I'm not showing you any of them. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, like, to be known by someone in general is I have to show them one card. Yeah. You know, it's like the facts about me. It's showing them degrees of vulnerability. Right. And if I see someone and I experience that, like I, they can be trusted with that first card I show them and they don't like use it against me or they don't withdraw or they don't whatever. Then I show them that second card. Right. So I think, I feel like I probably have a handful of friends that I'd say probably like three that have all five cards. Okay. Right. Then probably like eight, nine who have four. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of gets pretty bigger after that. And and that seems fine, right? I mean, you're not yeah. trying to make every relationship have yeah. all four or five cards. Yeah, I think one of the marks of unhealth is when you post all five of your cards on Facebook. <laughs> sure. You know, right. Or you uh, have the inability differentiating between degrees of intimacy. Right. Well, it seems like that's sometimes what goes weird in Christian subcultures is this expectation that all relationships have to go to that five card place, yes. right? And if it's not that, then we don't. Then this isn't real, right? And and I think it can be real and not necessarily be completely, you know, everything on the table. Yeah, and it's also like pretty awkward, and I feel presumed on mm. when I'm sitting with a two cards friend. Yeah. And they ask you a five cards question. Yep. And you're like, whoa, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. We have not like, like it's a, there's an on-ramp required to get there. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of like mutual consent that has to happen. Sure. Like, hey, what type of depth are you looking for here? How's this going to play out? And sometimes you discover that. You, like you, you have friends in your life who you suffer with or who you go through something and you include them in your process. And then 
you've gone there and now that you've gone there, you can keep going there. Yeah. And it's been a good experience. The other thing that comes to mind to me when you talk about intensity is how relationships are often formed, how friendships are often formed. So you talk about the rhythm, right? So we, every Tuesday, every other Monday, whatever. But I think a lot of times uh, relationships and friendships are more deeply formed through an intense experience. Yes. So some of our closest friends uh, for Molly and I were this couple that they were in our small group years ago and we'd see them every week and we were getting to know them decently well. And then our house flooded and it was like, we need somewhere to stay for a week. Yeah. And so we moved in with them and we stayed with them for a week and they saw what we're really like. And we saw what they're really like. And the intensity of that experience did more to deepen that friendship than had we done three week or three years of week after week after week, small group. Right. So um, sometimes I think we underestimate the value of that. I mean, that's what's so great about, oh, this camping trip or this, here's this person I did this CrossFit uh, competition with. And you know, when you have an intense experience, when you have a bigger experience, sometimes that really knits your hearts together in a big way. Yeah, it can be a bit of a pressure cooker. And the thing about like that type of intensity is it either teaches you right away, we're not going to be great friends. Sure. <laughs> or it teaches you right away, we're going to be good friends. Mm -hmm. And so there is like an aspect like, let's microwave this and see what it actually is like before we keep going on here. Yeah. Uh, the, the last one, which is not the last one, this fourth one is the most difficult one because it's the only one you can't choose. Hmm. And it's longevity. Okay. You can't just decide to have someone as a friend for a long time. <laughs> sure, yeah. Right, you you have people in your life who knew you in high school, who knew you in middle school, who knew you in college, who now know you now, and that's just a gift. You know, my grandma has a sign in her house. It takes a long time to grow old friends. Huh, sure. And and just this reality that uh, there's a, an aspect. This is like when Jesus goes to Peter and says, you know, Simon, son of John, like there's an aspect when Jesus goes like, I knew you before you're Peter. Right. Right. That my friends from college see Seth, son of Jay, the PE teacher who thought he wanted to be a therapist, psychologist, and now is a pastor, you know, mm -hmm. who is a, a worship leader with a bad singing voice and now is a preacher. You know, who, yeah, a lot of people don't know that, Seth. Yeah. When I first met you, you were saying, I mean, you were leading worship at the church you were at. And yeah. I said, are you any good? And you said, well, I sound like. Bruce Springsteen with a sinus infection. <laughs> I thought, man, I, I kind of want to hear what that sounds like. So yeah. Maybe at King Culture Live we'll get a live performance. I don't know. Maybe we won't. You know, so there you go. I haven't, I'm not showing people that card yet. You know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, so longevity is like, I mean, how much of that is like just a fact? Of like, you know what? You tend to be friends with people you've known for a long time. And uh, how much of that is, I mean, you said this is one you can't choose but it seems like it could be one you pursue. Yes. Yeah, you can have the goal of like, hey, Luke, I like hanging out with you. I hope we keep doing this a long time. I know we can't predict or control the future, but yeah, let's do it. Like, and, and just acknowledging like crap happens. People move. Things don't go well sometimes. Yeah. And beyond our control, there may be things that take away longevity from us. Right. When it is this longevity that seems like, it's part of what happens when you just pick up where you left off. Yeah. Like I think of some college friends that I have or, you know, I just, you know, a month or so ago was back in Colorado and went to breakfast with uh, my best high school friend who, you know, was best man at my wedding. And, I mean, we barely see each other. We text here and there. But, man, we just picked right up. 
Yeah. You know, and that was possible because of that longevity and probably because of the intensity of the relationship in the past. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, it's not what it was. And uh, and yet I don't think either of us are like, oh, no, our friendship's down the toilet. It's like, no, it's changed. You know, he lives in Denver. I live here. He's doing his life. I'm doing my life. We're happy when it intersects again, and it's it's cool. Um, but that longevity is a piece that makes that a meaningful friendship. Yeah. And so the longevity piece, I think there's a humanizing aspect to it mm. of like, I talk to some folks who I'm like, if you want to know what I was like in high school, like, like Katiana who works with us here at gateway. Yeah. She knew me I was in high school. Right. And so she's seen my process, uh-huh. but the thing that longevity, I think, uh, can possibly have the most depth and it's going to transition to the next one is you get to see God's work in someone over time. Hmm. Sure. That you can see what you were like when Jesus had less of a grip on you. And you can see someone, what they're like now that Jesus has more of a grip on you. And you can appreciate and be grateful for the process you've seen them go through. And man, I've seen what, how you've grown the last 10 years. And so there's like a, a sense of like pride yeah, of like, I'm proud of you. Not in like a patronizing, congratulations, little guy, you've done so good. But like in a like, wow, you have like by the grace and spirit of God become something that encourages my heart, mind, and soul. Like you've, you who are kind of like the doofus high school kid and now a great husband, mm-hmm. you, you her, who were that angry, reactive, bombastic person are now kind, curious, and patient. You who were um, foolish and naive now have these degrees of wisdom and, yeah. and insight into the human process. Well, that's one of the best things that we can and should do for each other is point that out. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> not in a like, was that a compliment, <laughs> you know, reverse sort of way, like, boy, you used to really be a jerk, and now you're, you know, but to to acknowledge and celebrate, man, I see God at work in you. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's part of, like, there's a handful of folks who go to the church now who knew me in high school, and some of them have joined in the last couple of months, some of them have been a while longer, and I just feel like the, the ability or the capacity or the possibility of that, like the, that, that depth of encouragement and connection is there because of the longevity. In that, in a way, yep. that if someone who's new to the church, who who's newly a friend of mine in the last three months, like they just literally cannot do that, yeah, and so they can't choose that. Whereas like Gabby or Joel or Sean or Katiana, yeah. who've known me since high school, can mm-hmm. whether they do or not is on them, you know. But yeah. they could, and sure. so so I think that's what like one of the mysteries of friendship is the longevity piece, yeah, because it's like uh, it it creates capital that you can't get by any other way. Yeah. It's the long time type stuff. So I think there's one more. What's the S? The S is spirituality. Okay. This is the... I wondered if we were going to go here or get here in some way because, you know, rhythm, affinity, intensity, longevity, all of that. I mean, I assume every, all kinds of people that don't know Christ or don't follow the Lord or don't even believe in God have all that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, what's... The spirituality piece is, so this is, Tim Keller talks about this. He says, until you pray for someone, you can't really know them because you stand by the Lord and see them with the Lord's eyes. And the Lord knows everybody better than anybody. Hmm. And so when you stand by the Lord and pray and, and go to the Lord on their behalf, you begin to develop eyes for them that you cannot have otherwise. And you see what God is doing in them and you're, excited about it you're grateful for it you celebrate it this is like part of the story in first samuel 18 is you have david and jonathan 
And then you also have David and Saul. Saul is Jonathan's dad. Right. And God is doing something magnificent through David. And Saul is threatened by it when right. he shouldn't be. Whereas Jonathan celebrates it mm. when he probably could be threatened by it because Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He's a descendant yeah. of the king. And David's coming in. Right, and Saul is told, you're not going to be king. You know, like the, the king is going to be removed from your line, but he stays king, right? Yeah. Like he's not actually, I mean, he's not losing his kingship. He's just losing the succession to his kingship. Yeah, so Saul should not be threatened by David because he knows where things are headed. He knows he's not going to be king forever. He knows there's a next generation coming. But instead, Saul and his insecurity sees what God is doing in David, and it produces insecurity and threats and threatens him. Yeah, he's jealous. And so God doing something powerful in David's life is a threat to Saul. Whereas Jonathan sees God doing something powerful in David's life and is able to celebrate with him and rejoice with him and be excited about it. That's amazing, really. And I think that this like whole concept of like frenemies, you know, and like <laughs> you're my friend, you're my enemy, this jealousy, what God's doing in your life, what God's doing in my life, et cetera, et cetera. Your salary, my salary, my promotion, your promotion, my house, your house, all this kind of ugly competition stuff is basically rooted in this inability to add the spirituality layer to these things. Hmm. You know, so I, I talked to my mom on the phone today. I was like doing a podcast on friendship. Any, any insight? And she said, you know, if you, the most important part of friendship is having people who will pray with you and for you. And you know, in my gut, I'm like, that's a very spiritual answer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know yeah. but then like, this is what she's talking about. She's like people who um, see your, see you over time, who go to the throne on your behalf who see what God's doing in your life and praise when you praise and lament when you lament and can be a participant in your faith story and are really there to help you pay attention to what God is doing in your life. And so that's different than intimacy because it doesn't require like a hyper depth of insight, but like to pray together, to uh, pray for each other and with each other and to be invested in what God is doing in each other's life is I think a huge aspect of this, that if you really believe that God is involved, then, and as a key, and if God is the main actor in all of our lives and all of our stories, then you kind of have to see what God's doing in someone's life to really see them, appreciate them, and know them. And I think that paying attention to and being connected to what God's actually doing in other people is one of the best ways we can be friends to them. So if I'm listening to this and I feel kind of like that, author of the Boston Globe article, I'm like, oh man, I'm actually realizing I am kind of lonely. I don't really have many friends. What do I do? Right? Like, and maybe I've tried, maybe I, you know, I go to stuff and I try to meet people and I say, Hey, here's my phone number. Could we connect? And, you know, could we hang out sometime? And I just feel like I don't, you know, get anywhere with it. Um, and everybody else feels busy like I've heard Larry Osborne uses the example. He says everyone's relational life is like a, um, you know, a surge protector, and it only has everyone has different plugs. Real extroverted people have lots of plugs, and but you know, real introverted people only have a few. But once your plugs are full, your plugs are full. You can't bring on new friendships. And I know people who are like, man, I I keep going to these places and I try to connect with people, but their plugs are all full, and no one has time for me. And um, what would you what would you tell us? So the first thing I'd say is you have to believe that God's doing something in that process, that God's teaching you something about endurance, about grit, about your own ability to make and maintain friendships. Like sometimes like we need to realize this is 
like, so my wife is a speech therapist, works with sometimes kids who have like social impediments or delays, mm-hmm. right? Like, Hey, when you're like that, people don't want to be your friend. <laughs> so, so there's an aspect to some of this that's like, so it might be an invitation in some cases for some introspection. Like yeah. what is it about the way I'm relating to people that makes them want to keep me at a distance? Yeah. Am I a cynical bummer? Uh, do I come in and just like rain on everybody's parade and mm. poke holes and crap? And am I, am I a net add to people or am I a net subtraction to people? Mm. Me- meaning like, am I coming in trying to use people to salve my loneliness or am I coming to like be a blessing or investment? Like I think about the words blessing and curse to bless means most basically to add to curse means most basically to take. Hmm. And am I taking or am I giving? Like if I'm, if I'm blessed to be a blessing by the Lord, how can I add to this? Some of this is our own insecurity. You know, I, and I have to like, if I believe that I, so this is, uh, this might be arrogant, but I like, I believe this might come across as arrogant, but I'm going, I think that I'm great. I'm made in God's image. Hmm. God designed me on purpose. That I have weaknesses, I have strengths, but I fundamentally believe that as an image bearer of God, I add value to the rooms that I'm in. And I can be, I'm a fun person. Like I believe I represent God. And so there are, there are healthy and unhealthy ways that I tend to do that, that there's insecurities, there's sin, there's problems. But I most basically am blessed, meaning that I have this like depth of wealth mm-hmm. that I've received from God as his image bearer, as one full of spirit, that if I'm like walking around with, this paralyzing insecurity, maybe because of message I've internalized from my parents or from bad preaching or from Satan himself, then I'm going to like use people and I'm going to be looking for things from people that I should not be getting from people. But it's like when when I'm in a secure position, knowing that God loves me, that I'm adopted secure by grace, then I can like freely offer myself to people. And if they don't have time for me, then I can go, I'm not taking that personally. You yeah. Know? And so, so there might be, it might be an opportunity for introspection to go, is there something about me that makes it hard for me to be a good friend? But then I also think about people who, you know, say you get to the end of that process, you go, well, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect and I have my issues, but I, I actually don't think I'm a difficult person to be around. Or I think about people who are new to the area. I mean, we're meeting people week after week after time, week yeah. that are moving here and they're moving in with this hyper desire for relationship and connection and they're coming into a place where a lot of people have friendships and a lot of people know each other and a lot of people have longevity and a lot of people have intensity and now I'm the new person. And how do I, how do I break into that? Yeah, I think, so that's part of the reason we have our start here class and our rooted classes is for folks who are all new to kind of get in the same room together. And the, the thing that I would look for is you go into a room and go like do the rhythm, affinity, intensity, longevity, spirituality piece and going, so I would begin with the longevity piece and going like, do I have any longtime friends that I could somehow add one of these layers to it? Mm. So like, do I have any longtime friends I could add rhythm or regularity to? Like, hey, Billy, Bob, mm-hmm. I know we used to be close, but I've been realizing like that I would like to see more often. Do you have the ability to like maybe grab coffee every Friday at 4 p.m. at the end of the work week? Do you, would it be possible if, it's so like I, I just started a guys group of dads who have boys ages two to four. You just did? I just started. Yeah. Oh, fun. And part of that is going, hey, we have some affinity. We have sons ages two to four. Some of these folks have been longevity with, some of them I don't. But like, hey, let's have this rhythm thing. We're going to meet Friday mornings, 5.30 a.m. So we're not competing with our wives mm-hmm. or our parenting. So we're, we're going to do that. So like, you kind of, I'm going to add a rhythm to a place where I have affinity. Yeah. And in the midst of that rhythm... Over time, we're going to add some intensity to it, but it's not like zero to 60 on that. Sure. 
there's also like situations where like one of my best friends now, like we just happen to go to the same gym, mm-hmm. right? And see him on a regular basis. So we had rhythm and then we added to that intensity, mostly brought about by different ways that we were suffering, you know, extended family, those types of things. Mm-hmm. So the intensity kind of created itself with the rhythm. And so I would say, look at those five things and go like, where do I have rhythm? Where do I have longevity? Can I add intensity to that? Can I add spirituality to that? Or even like, where do I have infinity? Can I add rhythm to that? Hey, we have football in common. Can we do fantasy football? That'll create natural points of connection. Yeah. So I think trying to strategically add a layer or two to a place where you already have some point of overlap. Mm-hmm. What's difficult is when you, it's like, say like you have a men's group that meets Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., you have affinity, which is desire to follow Jesus more closely. But part of what you do is you show up to this group of men and you go, where else do we have affinity? Oh, we're yeah. going we're gonna to experiment with intensity here. We're going to be vulnerable, but not all the way vulnerable. Uh, but over time, I'm kind of making an investment and this might become a place where I develop longevity in relationships. And so, but I'm, I'm kind of in it for the long haul. Like there's not just a try it once and then bail. Yeah. But it takes a long time to grow old friends. Well, and it, and I do think we have to just accept that at different stages of life, it takes more time and it takes more effort to develop friendships, right? At the beginning of this conversation, you said, when I shared that article with you, you didn't have kids and you weren't lonely. And there is a reality of if you're young and single or young and married with no kids, you have a lot of friends. It's like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? Want to grab a pizza? Want to hang out? Want to go do something? There's like all this opportunity for spontaneity you add a child, you add a second child, you add a third child, on and on. And now it's like, hey, uh, 17 Wednesdays from now, do you think you guys will be free? <laughs> you know, yeah. And just to realize, like, that's just part of it. And it's harder and it's more difficult. And, and to accept that it's just going to be a little bit more of a grind. Well, and sometimes we romanticize college when you had no responsibilities and no whatever, and you could just spontaneously do tons of stuff all the time. And it's never going to be the same. And... And so because it's not going to be the same as like your fraternity or your, you know, responsibility less life, you think it's not worth it or something like that. And, and I just think acknowledging that and embracing the trials of the current season is part of that. Here's the other thing I think is a big part of this is people fake ask people for plans all the time. Hmm. Like it, it's kind of like, you know, if a guy is going to ask out a girl, it's like, hey, do you want to do something sometime <laughs> yeah. Here's my number. I think that might literally be how I asked Molly out on our first date, which is why she's like, it wasn't a first date. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, it was. And she's like, I just thought we were hanging out. Yeah, it's like. It was you, very vague. <laughs> well, it's like uh, you ask it in such a way that you're kind of creating either the rejection in the way you ask it. Like, you'd probably never want to hang out with me, but if you want to, here's my number. Here you <laughs> oh, yeah, she never called me. You know, as opposed to like being direct and clear and risking vulnerability, yeah. you know, throwing out your business card to a table of people and being like, I'm looking for friends, but who freaking knows? You know, <laughs> you know, sure. Like that's, you haven't really asked or initiate. Like, so I say like initiate true. And it, so here's the question. If someone can't reject your advance, you have not actually made a real ask. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's kind of in sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if someone can't say no, you haven't given them, a clear ask yet. And yeah. so would you like to hang out with me Friday, 7.30 p.m., see a movie? You know, like if someone can't say yes or no to what you're asking them to do, yeah. you haven't really initiated it. And that's harder because at that point now I am I feel like I'm playing a card. 
Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm being more vulnerable. I can get rejected. It's a little easier instead of that to say, well, are you, you know, what are you up to Friday? Yes. You know, that's one of the hardest things. Like when someone texts and is like, Hey, what do you have going on Saturday? I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> you <laughs> <Yeah. know>? like, <laughs> what are you asking? Are you saying, hey, can I come over to your house and bring my kids swimming Saturday morning at 10 a.m.? Right. If so, then like say that. Don't yeah. kind of, because when I when you do that. What it, they just want to know how, what you're going to be doing so they can be praying for you. So they can do the S part yeah. of the friendship. That's yeah. what it is. If that was actually true 1% of the time, <laughs> I'd be shocked. You know? So I think that's part of it is going like, hey, am I lonely because I am avoiding like making the vulnerable ask yeah. of like, Hey, I would like to make plans with you. Uh, do you have time to try to get coffee with me two times a month to talk about marriage and life? Yep. Uh, recognizing that they might say no and they might say no for a really, really good reason. Uh, call that's, I don't have the time for that. Yeah. And that's not them rejecting you per se that, but that's them going, I would like to, but I can't. So yeah. like I, when I tend to ask people for plans, like if you're interested and available, I would like to do this with you. Yeah. That's like my formula. And a lot of times people just don't text me back, you know, yeah. because, because it's easier to not text me back than to say like, I'm not interested or I'm not available. Saying I'm not available is totally socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Saying I'm not interested. Is, <laughs> That's tougher. <laughs> it's tougher. But I would like, love to be a place or a church where like, Hey, that sounds fun for other people, but I'm just not interested. Thank you. Yeah. And because, like, if we're trying to like build meaningful, honest relationships, sure. Like that kind of bedrock candor, yeah, honesty is is part of that. Yeah, I had some guys invite me recently to the man camp, the man camp where there's like, dig your own holes to go to the bathroom. And I said, "Is it like that?" And they're like, "Yes." And I said, "I really appreciate you inviting me. I'm not interested." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, "Whoa," but yeah, I mean. Let's let's be honest. So, well, man, this has been helpful, and um, thanks for keeping us on the rails. Rails. That was pretty great. Um, again, we'd love to have you join us September nineteenth for our live show. Uh, we will record and uh, publish the conversation that night, but the Q and A will be unrecorded and just a good time. And Seth, thanks for being my friend. I'm glad to I'm glad to not just work together, but be friends and care about each other. So appreciate it. Absolutely. <coughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> we're not <laughs> he's having a coughing attack uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was not me getting emotional we have these new covers on the mics and i think a fleck of it got in my throat i'm sorry Luke, but I, anyway i really appreciate your friendship yeah and thanks i mean that too <laughs> all right everybody well that's it we will see you next time peace peace